This is Robert Capuccio. Welcome to the Self-Help Antidote, a weekly dose of reason, perspective, and insight, where we challenge conventional thinking and explore authentic strategies and insights around personal transformation. Our commitment to you is to bring you some of the world's leading experts in the domains of fitness, wellness, coaching, and behavior change, separating fact from fallacy. It's good to be back, and I hope you're doing okay wherever in the world you happen to be at the moment. So this episode, I want to talk about something that I think is critically important, and that is authenticity. The question came up in conversation recently, and it wasn't the first time for me, and my assumption is this wouldn't be a first for you either. What does it mean to live authentically, to truly be authentic? And a lot of times when you present that question in a conversation, you get something like, well, just stop being inauthentic. And okay, well, that's not very helpful. But I wanted to talk about it a little bit in this episode because I think that when you are living authentically in alignment with your highest values and what is so deeply a part of you that you cannot be otherwise and you just own that, not only is that in and of itself an act of courage, but I also believe that it's the single greatest contribution you can make to others and to society as a whole. And in order to convey this, I think there's a story that articulates exactly what I mean so beautifully. If there was a thread through which the fabric of our society, our mental models, what we believe, what we identify with, is interwoven, that thread is arguably story. And the story I want to share with you takes place in the 12th century. And there's a woman named Heart Sorrow, and she's living with her only son in the middle of the woods. And this isn't by accident. You see, Heart Sorrow had three children originally and a husband. And her two older children and husband were all knights, and all of them fell in battle. And this absolutely broke her heart. This is unspeakably devastating for her. And now she has her youngest, only remaining son. And she decides that she is going to protect him by taking him as far from civilization as possible. So that never happens to him. But there's a problem. He has this wide-eyed wonder and curiosity in the world. And she names him, as a matter of fact, Parsival, which translates to innocent fool. Now, he doesn't learn his true name until later on in life. And I I know, I know. How do you go through life not knowing? But anyway, just go with the story. It's all part of the story. And she has this curious boy filled with awe and wonder, this innocent fool living in the middle of nowhere. So he basically rides out every day and practices javelin throwing. I mean, he's got nothing else to do, right? You read books, you throw a javelin and, you know, she's cautious of the amount of books that he reads because she doesn't want to, you know, excite his curiosity any further. So basically this guy spends his days throwing javelin and he gets quite good at it. One day he mounts up on his horse and he rides out to practice his javelin throwing and he sees something in the distance He can't quite make out what this thing is. And as this thing gets closer, he starts to discern that it's these five separate figures. And as they get closer, 
he discerns that they're on horseback. And when they get close enough that he could really see, what he's staring at is five knights. And he is absolutely mesmerized by this. He has never seen anything like a knight in his entire life. I mean, to be fair, he hasn't seen much of anything except the woods in his entire life. But this would be magnificent for the most worldly of people. He is just beside himself. He thinks like he's hallucinating because these knights appear to be angelic creatures to him. And he's completely astonished when the knights stop right in front of him, they dismount, and they begin to talk to him. And being the curious, wide-eyed, filled with wonder type of kid that he is, he starts asking them all these questions about their sword and their horses and their armor. And then after a long conversation, he runs home and he tells his mother not only that he met these knights, but that they agreed to take him with them and he's going to join them on a great adventure and become a knight himself. This is her worst nightmare come true. She is in so much anguish upon hearing this that in the story she actually faints. And after a while, you know, she comes to and she realizes quickly that he is so enthusiastic about this adventure that there's nothing she could do to dissuade him. And her already broken heart breaks even more. And she says to him, okay, I will let you go, knowing there's nothing she can really do to stop him, if you just make me two promises. And Parsifal, already making up his mind to go, but he really wants his mother's blessing. He agrees. Anything. And she said, first, you must always wear on your person a garment that I have made you. And second, above all, don't ask questions. Now, you can see why this is kind of problematic. This is the first time this kid's been anywhere, and he's going out into the world on an adventure with five knights nonetheless, and he can't be truly emancipated unless he breaks free from his mother. But he can't do that because he's wearing this garment, and this garment symbolically not only represents the memory of his mother, but of all the lessons she tried to instill in him. And also all of the fears and insecurities that she unwittingly put into him. And the second component is asking him to go against his very nature. Don't ask questions. Does that sound familiar to you? Sit up straight. Pay attention. Speak when spoken to. Don't ask questions. Unless you're specifically asked to ask a question. So he's going out into the world. But he's really excited. He doesn't even think much about the two promises that he made yet. And they're riding out. One of the first things he sees, they're on their way to Camelot to visit the court of King Arthur, which is exceedingly exciting for him, as probably it would be for anyone. And he sees this magnificent figure they're riding past. He looks like a knight, except his armor is completely red. Now, unbeknownst to Parsifal at the time, this is the notorious red knight who terrorized the court of King Arthur. None of Arthur's knights could best him. And it was reported that he even went straight into the court of King Arthur and threw wine in Guinevere's face, which is bang out of order, completely rude. But you can imagine the response of the knights. 
And even then, none of them could defeat him. That's how formidable this individual was. Now, Parsifal, being an innocent young fool and not being aware of any of this, he goes straight up to the Red Knight. He dismounts his horse and he says, one day I'm going to become a knight and I'm going to defeat you in battle. I'm going to take your armor and I'm going to take your horse. Well, the Red Knight is completely entertained by this statement. And he looks at young, tiny Parsifal and says, well, you better go and hurry up and become a knight then. I will be eagerly awaiting your return. So obviously this knight's not intimidated in the slightest. So him and the knights, they ride off and they finally make it to the court of King Arthur where Parsifal walks into the court and loudly proclaims, make me a knight. And the entire court erupts in laughter. They had never heard anything so funny. I mean, here comes this bumpkin from the middle of nowhere, and he makes this astonishing, and again, quite entertaining declaration. But King Arthur sees something in him, and he makes him a knight, or he tells him, you will be a great knight. Obviously, he doesn't have any training, but King Arthur gives him a sword. So now he has his sword, he's got his javelin, and he rides out in the first place he goes. I mean, we said that there are some unintended consequences of keeping Parsifal isolated in the middle of the woods, and he is hopelessly, astonishingly naive. And he rides up to the Red Knight, and the Red Knight is like, ah, look, the fool has returned. And he challenges the Red Knight to battle. Well, the Red Knight easily and quickly knocks Parsifal clear off his horse. But he doesn't stay down. Parsifal gets up, takes his javelin, which he's exceedingly good at, and throws it right in between the Red Knight's visor, piercing him between the eyes, killing him instantly. Okay, now that got everyone's attention. So nobody's laughing at this kid now. And he goes to remove the knight's armor and starts putting it on himself. And you know, then his charge reminds him, remember the promise you made to your mother. You cannot wear the knight's armor in replace of your mother's garment. So he places the knight's armor over his mother's garment, keeping it and his mother's promises very close to him literally and symbolically. But he puts on the knight's armor and then he mounts on the knight's horse as promised. They never really do say what happened to the horse he originally was riding. I always wondered about that. But anyway, so he travels, you know, a little bit further on and he finds himself at Grail Castle at the court of the Fisher King. Now the Fisher King was the keeper of the Holy Grail, but he was also terribly wounded and and when you read the story you get the sense that the wound is not just physical but metaphysical it's a spiritual in addition to a physical wound he did something he wasn't supposed to or the way the story reads he did something before he was ready to do it and it wounded him terribly there wasn't a single position that he can move into to gain any relief And he could not die, but he would not heal. 
So he was just enduring his entire life in unspeakable, incomprehensible suffering and agony. And as soon as Parsifal walks into the court, the court is silenced and it's just bristling with anticipation and expectation because it was prophesied that someone just like Parsifal, an innocent, would come into the court of the Fisher King and heal him with one question. Now, there's two versions of this story, but in both versions, the question is quite poignant. In one version, the story is, Uncle, what ails you? In this other version of the story, it's, to whom does the grail serve? But anyway, they're awaiting this question. And, and, and Parsifal wants to speak. Like everything inside his soul wants to cry out and heal the Fisher King. But as he goes to do this, he's reminded of the promise that he made his mother not to ask questions. So finally, after waiting, the Fisher King is carried off to his bedchamber and Parsifal is just devastated. And he says, okay, tomorrow morning when I wake up, that's my chance. I will ask the question. And he goes to bed and he wakes up the next day. The court is empty and the king is nowhere to be found. And he is completely distraught. So Parsifal mounts his horse and rides off and he's riding through the kingdom of the Fisher King and everything is desolate and dead. So because spiritually, it's kind of like how we feel when we're wounded spiritually or emotionally or physically, that everything around us has no life. And that's the state of his entire kingdom. So it wasn't just the Fisher King that Parsifal failed to heal. It was his kingdom, his people. There was a lot at stake and Parsible at this point feels like a complete and total failure. And he just, he goes through his journey and eventually he stays at the house of a nobleman and you know, he gets trained in the ways of knighthood and how to fight and the code of honor. And above all, that knights, you know, have a lot of honor, but they speak less. So now on top of not asking questions, he's taught to speak less. And he just doesn't go back to Grail Castle. And then along his journey, he's heading, he's heading towards home. He wants to go visit his mother. And on his journey, he comes across the, this young maiden who he was told to be very kind to. And she is holding the dead body of her lover. And he takes great pity on her. And he dismounts and, and he's talking to this young maiden. They never actually say how her lover died, but she's completely distraught. And he starts explaining that he's looking for his mother. And he describes his mother and where she lives. And he finds out that his mother had recently died. And now he is completely beside himself. He missed his opportunity to heal the Grail King. He missed his opportunity to see his mother again before she died. And he has this realization that... He kept his promise to his mother throughout her entire life. And at this point, he has to embrace his own nature and keep a promise to himself to be true to who he is. And he goes back to the Grail Castle. 
and he stands before the Grail King and he presents this question. Now remember, there's two versions, two different stories. And the first version, the significance of Uncle What Ails You, is this is a question of not only curiosity, but of deep compassion. And I think the story is trying to convey that when we are the best version of ourselves, we are a compassionate version of ourselves. And and not only is it okay to act with compassion, but we're, we're responsible to. And in the second version of the story, to whom does the grail serve? I believe what's relevant to us with that question is we all serve something, a purpose that's higher than all others. We serve something that's aligned with our values and our sense of meaning. And when we serve that thing and act upon that in the world, it results in contribution. It heals others. It inspires others. It renews others. And we can only do that thing when we're being true to what our values actually are. We can't pursue the lessons and and the values of other people, like not asking questions, remaining silent in Parsifal's case. As much as we try to live up to the expectations of people that we love, if we're not true to our own nature and who we are, what we value, and and what we are, are so designed and engineered for that we can't ignore it because it's always whispering to us. And eventually that whisper gets louder and louder until, like in Parsifal's case, it's a deafening scream. And it's like when we give into that and we serve that, not only do we become more fulfilled, but we help other people to be inspired and fulfilled around us. And he presents this question in both versions of the story. And the Fisher King is instantly healed as are his people, his lands, and his kingdom. And and I think that's such a powerful story that we don't demonstrate and walk in the full totality of the power we have until we come to grips with who we authentically are and what we value and what living in alignment with that means. And once that happens, we're more powerful more compassionate, more present than we could ever be otherwise. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. And if you have any recommendations about subject matter that you'd like us to explore in the future, visit us at theselfhelpantidote.com. Also, if you're enjoying the content that we're putting out every week, subscribe, give us a five-star rating, and leave us a review. See you back here next week.